This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. You work with me, Tim. You follow the rules. Rule number one, you give me everything you've got. Rule number two, then you give me more. And rule number three, I make the rules. Watch out for that last one, kid. It's a killer. I would. Hey, no one can be a boy wonder forever. Hey everybody, this is Jordan from Smallville, Bad Cat Shipper. This is episode number 164. That's two more games over the 162 games uh, in the <laughs> Major League Baseball season. Well, actually uh, this year it's 163, so we're just oh, one sorry. over. We're just one over this time. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I you see, it's really weird because we don't have to say the, um, you know, that stuff that that comes out in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're ever gonna get used to it, Dean. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, but, by episode two hundred, <laughs> you'll just blow right up the dog. <laughs> so we have thirty six more episodes to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but speaking of baseball, Tim. Yeah, I gotta say, Dane, I'm surprised yeah. you're doing this podcast with me right now. <laughs> I know. I was about to quit. I was about to quit doing this podcast because if you follow baseball, you know that uh, the New York Yankees beat the Oakland Athletics in the uh, AL Wild Card. Um, quite easily, too. Quite easily. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. I don't mean to rub salt on the wound, but <laughs> kind of controversial. Should the A's have, you know, done the bullpenning thing? Um, uh, I was actually real curious your thoughts yeah. on that going into the game, Dane. Of you were happy with that decision, or if you would have preferred a normal starter? Well, put it this way, Tim. Remember, I was uh, I was telling you about. Um, I think it was like maybe like two weeks before the season ended that none of the starting rota- uh, the pitchers in the starting rotation started the season with the A's. Yeah, which is a crazy stat. <laughs> yeah, they were either from uh, the minor leagues or they were from another team. So I have to believe that that was the right decision. The A's starting pitching hasn't been very good at all this year. Obviously, you know, they sent Kendall Graveman down a month or two into the into the season, he he ended up getting hurt. 
Manai had the no hitter, but <laughs> guess what, Tim? He got hurt. <laughs> yeah, he, now that so, sucks about him is he got hurt pretty late in yeah. the season too. It was like like late August, early September, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So wasn't the right decision to me as an ace fan? Yes, yes, it was the right decision. Okay. Um, but here's this: I, what, yeah. Was Hendricks the right opener for the game? Would you have gone with someone else to start it off? I would have thrown my best pitcher up first. Mm. Would that have been trying? Either him or Fires, Fears, whatever. Okay. Fires, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Fires. Well, he's a starter, though. Yeah, he's a starter, but just throw your best pitcher out there. Mm. You know, yeah. um, this is an el- elimination game. J- j- just, just throw it out there, you know? So, yeah. to me, it was the right. It, it was the right decision. The A's had one of the best. Uh, bullpens in Major League Baseball. Um, I think the Yankees were slightly ahead of them, um, so I can understand why they did the the bullpenning. Uh, your starting rotation isn't very good. You have to go with what's good, which was the bullpen. The the, the bullpen has been good all season. So yeah, I, I I can I can definitely understand, and then I think it's the right decision that they went with the bullpenning. Unfortunately, the A's hitting just wasn't happening. It, 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 <laughs> nope. <laughs> and that was my fear going into uh, this wild card game. I, I hope. Yeah, I, I hope, thought it would be more of the bullpen pitchers doing the whole game instead of the offense. But that's interesting. They are more worried about the offense. Yeah, you see, like I actually hoped that they would win the AL West, but of course the, yeah. the Astros are the Astros, and you know. Hey, they made it a lot closer than anyone thought it would be, though. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, because throughout this whole season, it seems like it was either a feast or it was famine. Um, it was either let's get 20 runs on the board or let's get 10 runs on the board or let's win 8-1 or it's 3 nothing, right? And they lose. So I can definitely understand... I mean, I, I I can definitely, I definitely wish that it wasn't the wild card game, and that was my biggest fear going into this: that the A's would just have one of those games where they just, for some reason, couldn't get a hit. And I think it was a no hitter going into the fifth, the sixth, or fifth or sixth, sixth yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it was the it, fifth, yeah, because that's when they took Severino out. And yeah, he gave up those two back to back hits. Yeah, and it definitely showed. Um, and I think the game, I don't know, Tim, from, from your perspective, uh, the Yankees' perspective, the, the winning team's perspective, what did you think about this game? Yeah, well, here's my thing with the whole wild card game in general. I love it. I think it's a great addition to baseball. It creates some more excitement and races throughout the regular season. And as well, that's putting the importance of winning your division. I like how it does that. It really creates an advantage to winning your division, which I think is a good thing. But man, when your teams are in it, like <laughs> yours and mine were with the A's and the Yankees, it's one stressful experience. <laughs> I mean, going into it, it was nervous always, always with these winner go home games. It's nerve wracking. It, yeah. It's funny. I was actually really, really nervous going into this game you can't, you can't um, sit down you gotta stand up <laughs> yeah you gotta stand up and watch it uh and then judge hits the two run home run in the first yeah. and i was that, like okay 
Yeah, this is going to be really, really bad. That eased a lot of the nerves and anxiety, yeah. I will yeah, say. But going sure. into it, I wasn't sold on Severino making the start because he's been really bad the second half, and he just barely started pitching well this last month of the season. Not to mention he couldn't get out of the first inning in last year's wild card game. So I was a, I would have went with another pitcher for the Yankees. I was hoping they'd go with Jay Happ. But seeing how he pitched in yesterday's game against Boston, maybe it was good <laughs> that Severino pitch. And he was dominant right from the get-go. So that was just great to see. And like he said, once Judge hit that home run, I mean, I never liked saying this during the game, but it really felt like right then and there, the Yankees are going to win this game right there because scoring first is so important in these you know elimination games, and especially for when you're uh, – the home team and you got the crowd already getting into it and you get into it even more it just creates a more chaotic atmosphere i think for the visiting team and just harder for them to come back out of it so yeah i was the judges home run made it a little easier to relax during the game but once they got you know those the five run lead they became a six run and then seven runs yeah. it was like okay <laughs> i think they got this one um but yeah like i i mean i guess to put the negative aside it has been a real good season for the A's. Um, oh, they were predicted to be a last place team in yeah. the AL West in Major League Baseball overall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think like the Yankees almost had a hundred million in payroll over the A's. I think the A's <laughs> yeah, I um, think so. <laughs> uh, had the lowest payroll in Major League Baseball. Um, I think I think early, I think they early, started out the lowest, but then they yeah. became like the third lowest, something like that. They because they added some stuff, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the the White Sox and the A's were tied for last um, in payroll. So, was it a good season? Yeah, it was a really great season. Does Moneyball work in the playoffs? I don't know. I don't think they've figured it out yet. Nah, you I wouldn't know. say it does just yet. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they figured it out. Um, it's all these ALDS games. It's the it's the two now um, wild card games. Um, it's just kind of heartbreaking when you're expecting. I mean, at the beginning of the season, you're predicted last. You have the lowest payroll in all of professional baseball, <laughs> and you know you make it. You, you win 97 games, you know, which is really hard. Um. And to see it gone in one game is it, it's a, it's a little heartbreaking. And um, to me, this season has not only been positive for the team; it's also been positive for A's fans because you know there's a new president of of baseball at in Oakland. Um, it seems like they're reaccepting the their situation. You know, you're not going to get a new stadium. You're just not. It's it's impossible in that area. I don't know why. It's the Giants. It's <laughs> I, it, you're not going to get a new stadium, so you're stuck with the with the Coliseum, and you're going to have to make the best of it. And um, I I guess some of the darker side of of what Moneyball is has come out these past couple of years. <laughs> you know. Um, the cheap seats are gone, right? Some of the concessions mm-hmm. are gone, right? Um, fans aren't showing up. The A's had one of the lowest attendances this this past season. 
Um, and even with the winning record too, that's even with the winning disappointing. Record, <laughs> even with going on these long runs where they've won like seven or eight games in a row, uh, the fans haven't showed up. But you can't really blame them when the previous presidents of baseball, the previous owner Lou Wolf, you know, sort of did the Moneyball thing where everything was put onto the field. <laughs> And the the fans sort of get left behind. So th- this was such a nice thing to see um, that, yeah, e- e- even if the attendance is low because nobody can afford to go to these games, um, it, it it's great to see that all of this sort of bad stuff has led to the A's winning 97 games and, and making it to a, a wild card game with the Yankees, you know? Uh, you know, the Yankees with all of this money and all of this, you know, sort of uh, fan base. Uh, it's, it's it's great to see. And yeah, and, and that's going to be the positive that I take away from this this um, this season is that it seems like things are on the right track. You know, they're they're kind of doing away with the season ticket stuff. Um, it's. Yeah, they're doing like a subscription-based thing. Yeah, kind of, yeah, aren't they? because uh, I, I was reading an article, and apparently, you know, A's fans, the people of Oakland, uh, the people in the surrounding areas, they, they're they not rich people, right? I mean, they're just normal blue-collar workers, right? And it's really hard for them to afford a season ticket, which can cost thousands of dollars, right? Yep. And so what they're doing is they're doing this thing where you can – go to every regular season game um, and you can I think it's like $200 but you can pay pay it in monthly installments rather than up front you, you, you can pay it up front but you can pay it in monthly installments so it's it's a little more affordable and a lot more people can go and watch the, the A's and I think that's a byproduct of of Moneyball really because all, all of these people couldn't afford to go because the season ticket was so high. And now with this, um, I think it's called A's Access, um, a lot more people can go, you know? So. Yeah, hopefully that increases attendance because yeah, it sounds like because, a pretty cool program. I mean, you wouldn't think subscription service, <laughs> you know, we're all used to these subscription streaming service and for like movies, TV shows, and comics and all this yeah. stuff, but to apply that to. Actually, going to baseball game is pretty interesting. I think it could work, and I hope it does because it could be pretty cool. Yeah, because like, I think like one game later on in the season, like under ten thousand people were there. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, so it's great. It. it seems like the A's are moving in the right direction. Um, Moneyball isn't great. <laughs> uh, you know, I still got to see fan. that movie. I, like, I've been wanting to see it. I still haven't seen it, but with all this talk about the A's in the postseason, like, I should finally see that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's it, it's Moneyball, and it's the way that the A's are going to have to run because there's no money in Oakland. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the A's aren't the Yankees, right? So... It's just the way it's going to be, and it's unfortunate that Matt Chapman and uh, Chris Davis are going to be gone, are going to get traded away. Um, that, that, that's going to suck. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, like, I, I I follow this blog, Athletics Nation, on Twitter, mm-hmm. and 
I can't remember if it was them or somebody else, but like, I remember reading, don't ever buy an A's jersey because by the time you receive it in well, the mail, the person's going to be gone. Well, that's funny. well you at least got to buy one without the name on it. Yeah, there. yeah, <laughs> like get, a number. <laughs> your favorite player's number or something. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> yeah. See, that's why it's good that the Yankees don't have names on the back of their jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Um, it's, it's, it's sad. It makes me sad. Yeah, but you still, um, you're right. You, you definitely got to look at the positive for this season, though, because I think you can actually go back to the episode, probably our first episode we recorded when the baseball season started, we were talking about it and how you would just be happy with 500 ball and you didn't, weren't even expecting yeah. that. And here they are, 97 wins and they're a playoff team. So yeah, I, I know I just losing a game like that's very disappointing. I know, but at the same time too, I think no matter what happened in that game, they just had a great season. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't really blame me, Tim. No, <laughs> you're mean, right. I can't. I mean, you think Jed Laurie's going to step up and, and hit home runs and <laughs> oh, get man, on base? He had, a, he had a pitch to hit when the, there was runners on and Batantis came in for the Yankees. <laughs> he hung a ball and he just popped it right up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could like to tell they were pressing. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Can't, can't, I, I have zero complaints uh, about this season, especially after last season. They finished last in the ALS, so <laughs> yeah, what a turnaround! Yeah, what a turnaround! <laughs> Especially with players like, like, like I said, Jed Laurie, um, Chris Davis. I remember when he came over, I was like, "Is there something wrong with him?" Like, is it, <laughs> he like, can't feel? I know everyone says that. So he's like made for a DH, and he's definitely yeah. delivering on that front. Yeah, is, like, is there something wrong with Jed Laurie? I mean, I, I mean, Chris Davis. Because why would you come here? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah. Even though the A's are out now, Dan, is there anyone that you're rooting for to win the whole thing, or is now you don't you don't really care? Because <laughs> uh, it still hurts. <laughs> uh, just because the A's beat the, I mean, I mean the Yankees beat the A's. I'm gonna say the Red Sox. Uh, <laughs> you joined that side, huh? No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Um, either the Brewers or the um, uh, Rockies. Yeah. I'm really interested in that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the Brewers are going to make it to the World Series. I think they're the best team in the NL. Mm-hmm. And yeah. judging by <laughs> what the series in the National League right now, it's going to be Brewers and Dodgers in the NLCS because they're up two games to none against the Braves and the Rockies. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, was, I was about to say it's a little sad. Um, with the uh, with the Braves, I thought I thought this was like a turnaround year for them. Yeah, it was like everyone says they're one year ahead of schedule, and I think yeah. it's showing right now <laughs> against the Dodgers. But are, yeah, are, are they moved into their new um, stadium? Yeah, they were there two years ago. I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, for it some reason, kind they of, a new one. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a joke that they got one. <laughs> this is their third new stadium <laughs> within twenty years since their last one, which is crazy <laughs> yeah and yet uh the a's are still at the gray toilet <laughs> they're there forever <laughs> forever <laughs> i cue the sandlot line forever <laughs> forever <laughs> but yeah the yankees better just make it through this boston series i mean they lost mm-hmm. last night i'm just hoping for a good series then because i gotta say it's going to be tough losing another series to Boston. That's going to be two in a row, 4 and then this one. So I'm hoping they can squeeze out a win here tonight, today as we're recording this podcast. It's game two and take two in New York. I just want them to beat the Red Sox no matter what the cost. 
Yeah, so I guess American League, I, I, I guess I'll say the Yankees, Tim. Uh, thanks, Dane. I guess that means a lot since they were the ones who beat you. Yeah. <laughs> usually when it's the case, when it's a team that beats the Yankees, I root for them to lose, depending, unless they're playing like the Red Sox or something, then I'll <laughs> root yeah. for them to win. Because yeah, if the Oakland beat the Yankees in the wild card game, I'd still be rooting for them to beat the Red Sox. Yeah, and I don't know, there, there's just something about A's playoff baseball at night that just really scares me. <laughs> <laughs> well, just elimination games in general, I mean, yeah. they're like over, what, the last 10 or something like that in elimination games? It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think... 1989. Well, yeah. I don't think 89 was an elimination game, but that was the last time they won. Yeah, I was about to say, I think it goes back to like the early 90s, late 80s. Like, I don't think they've won an elimination game, which is scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah well. It was fun, though. Yeah. I mean, having both of our teams in the wild card game. I mean, I texted you before, but I know knowing how stressful it is for me, I didn't want to bug you during the game. <laughs> and then you texted me when it was like five nothing. He's like, yeah, I think that Yankees got this one. Yeah. <laughs> I like, no, I'm sorry. Well, plus two, I saw the, um, I, I, I texted you about this, but I saw the A's had posted um, a video of uh, Chris Davis taking batting practice. and Or at least I think it was the A's account. But um, something just looked off. Like he wasn't putting everything into his swing. I mean, I know it's only batting practice, but. I don't know, something just looked off off with his swing. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, <that> was, <laughs> like, oh, man, you, you got much better eyes to, than I do to pick something up like that during his batting practice. Because yeah, <laughs> they like, don't pick up all that stuff when his batting practice wings. I mean, he has kind of an awkward swing, but, uh, you, you know, to begin with. But, I don't know, something just looked off. I was like, oh, that doesn't look right. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's, like, pulled a muscle or something. Or, he did hit. He did give the Rays their only runs in the game, though. He did hit that yeah, two runs. Yeah, he did hit the home run, so... Um, <laughs> was it that hurt, I guess, yeah. <laughs> or that off? <laughs> or maybe that was just pure frustration at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, congratulations, Tim. You won. Thank you, <laughs> I appreciate you being a graceful loser. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you make it sound like that, never mind. <laughs> no, no. Um, so yeah, that that's the end of my season, Tim. <laughs> and hopefully mine will continue on. We'll find out next episode if the Yankees have advanced or not. The next our next episode you might yeah. be hearing me talk just like you are <laughs> on this one. But hopefully not. Is uh is Sonny Gray in the in the bullpen? Yeah. Oh. He's been there for a while and I think he's staying there. <laughs> oh really? Yep. <laughs> I wonder what what happened. <laughs> so, uh, that's a trade I wish I could take back. <laughs> yeah. Well, when he was with the A's, he was really good. I know. I was excited for it, but man, he did not deliver. <laughs> <laughs> um. But anyway, uh, let's get let's get into our dark night rises minute by minute commentary. This is uh, going from minute one twelve to one thirteen. So grab your. HD DVD, grab your Blu-ray, grab your Laserdisc, grab your Beta, grab your Blockbuster rental, um, grab your Netflix physical subscription um, disc, and grab your, and, and definitely grab your, I mean, this is the reason, this is the way the movie is supposed to be seen, Tim. <laughs> yeah, grab the way your, no one intended. <laughs> 
Not IMAX, <laughs> not you know, 4K. No, no way. None of that. <laughs> no way. Grab your VHS DVD converted copy <laughs> because it's the it's the way the movie's supposed to be seen. Yes, it, there's just no other option. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna do the countdown. So Tim, are you ready? Let's do it. All right, three, two, one, hit play. And one of the agents is down. And we're still going through this storyline. <laughs> I, I think it's about to end right here. Okay. Here's one of my movie tropes that I just hate when it's always you got, you know, I think these agents are pretty well trained. Yeah. And they don't take any of, you know, Bane's men out here. It's like, can they at least take one out? <laughs> I mean, they yeah, just get I mean, bowed down right away. And it, it's you've said it before, but it's it's sort of like what what was the point of this again? I think it's only for this cool scene right here. Yeah, and, I, and again, just to say there's someone betraying them or a mole amongst yeah. their group here. And here we got Tom Hardy as Bane, and speaking from someone who just saw Venom, is still his greatest comic book movie role is right here. Oh right, right, <laughs> as Bane. <laughs> Uh, I've been. I, I've actually been meaning to to ask you about that. Uh, that that concludes our uh, minute by minute commentary. Yes, perfect um, leader. <laughs> yeah. um, I have no desire to see it. Uh, you saw the Thursday night premiere. Mm. Yeah, um, not getting good reviews, except nope. for Tom Hardy's uh, performance. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, going into it, I mean, just the idea of a Venom movie without Spider-Man being part of the story and his origin just seemed like a bad idea to me because what I love about Venom so much, his character, because I'll say right off the bat, Venom is my favorite Spider-Man villain, even though he's not really considered one of his villains anymore, more of an anti-hero. But in those, you know, late 80s, early 90s comics, he was my favorite Spider-Man villain. And the whole backstory of the symbiote and Eddie Brock kind of coming together because of their hatred for Spider-Man is what I love about the character so much because they hate Spider-Man, but yet they're, you know, becoming using Spider-Man's abilities. They know all his secrets. Now he just becomes such a cool threat <laughs> against Spider-Man. So I always like that aspect of the character and the fact that all that stripped away here in this movie. And I was worried about that going in. Hey and... Tim, can I say something real quick about Venom? Uh-huh. Venom to me has been a a comic book character that hasn't it sort of like cable cable carnage um spawn where it's not so much about what the character is about more than it is about how the character looks just because he looks cool i think there's some truth to that am i right about that or is it yeah yeah i think that's i could speak more to that with venom because yeah. he's definitely a cool-looking character. His design is awesome. And that's right. definitely part of the reason why I think he's such a fan-favorite character. And I agree with that, except I really got into his backstory, too, and his origin. Okay, so there is a backstory that's, yeah. you know, it's it's servable, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I really love that yeah. story about him. And again, that's why this movie really didn't work for me. All of that was taken away. And they tried. it was really a frustrating watch because they did try to – play all those things of Eddie Brock. Oh, wait. uh, Spoiler alert for Venom. (laughs) Good (laughs) call, yes. 
spoiler alert because I probably will go into most of the stuff, even though I don't think there's anything really huge except for the end credit scene. But um, so spoiler warnings out there. But they play the whole thing is Eddie Brock being kind of down on his luck. He gets fired. He's a reporter, which is, you know, true to his uh, story in the comics. But I like it when he's with the Daily Bugle and he's kind of going like working with Jameson and Peter Parker. And the whole thing of him doing a story is what gets him fired. And, you know, loses his girlfriend, loses, you know, it's like it's this live in a crummy apartment, like that loses his job and all that stuff they did in the movie. But to me, I'm just going, oh, it's just not as good when it, Spider-Man is not the reason of all those things happening to build that hatred that Eddie Brock has for him. And then soon the symbiote will have when Spider-Man gets rid of the suit and why they come together. That's just, again, part of the Venom story I love so much and why he's, I think he's such a cool foe for Spider-Man. So all that why they took aspects from it, I just kept thinking, ah, like it needs Spider-Man there, and Spider-Man needs to be the reason for this. Spider-Man needs, or Peter Parker needs to be the reason for Eddie Brock feeling this way or being fired and all that stuff. So that was real frustrating, and the story, it just, yeah, it just didn't work for me trying to tell a Venom origin tale without Spider-Man being involved in here. And the way the symbiotes came to earth they took a little homage from that i think from the spider-man animated series where they told the venom story which they did a great job in just three episodes where you know there's a group not necessarily astronauts but space pilots um who are working for the main villain in the story played by riz Ahmad, aka Bodhi rook from rogue one yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> so he's like he works for the life foundation this big company and he sends this team to go into space to this meteor to collect you know samples of the symbiotes he knew they knew they were on there so then they come home with some samples, but the symbiotes get loose. They attack the ship. The ship crashes and they pretty much escape. And so they get Riz Ahmed's character gets a few samples and he's testing them out on different, you know, people doing human test subjects, uh, which, of course, go wrong. And the symbiotes need to find the perfect host body or otherwise the human body dies if the symbiote doesn't, uh, you know, is not compatible with it. And then. Um, so all that stuff is, of course, very different <laughs> from the Venom story that I'm used to as far as his origin goes to, like I said. But it just, like I said, didn't work. And then they go to this whole thing as far as the reason why the symbiotes were on that meteor, which is another thing. Maybe this is a comic plot point I never read before because I'll be honest, I haven't kept up with Venom in more recent uh, modern stories of where he's been uh, featured in his own. I did a little bit in like 2012 and 13 when... Uh, Flash Thompson was Agent Venom. Those are some cool stories. But since then, like Venom's been out in space. He's joined the Guardians of the Galaxy, as I believe. So I haven't kept up with all that stuff. But in the movie, it was revealed that the symbiotes were on that meteor, meteorite knowing that that rocket ship was going to go there and they were going to hijack the rocket to come to Earth, uh, get some, some host bodies, go back to their home planet, then come back with an invasion of symbiotes to take over Earth to feed off it. I was like, eh. <laughs> Uh, I didn't really like that aspect of the symbiotes and why they were there. And then the Venom symbiote was viewed as a loser amongst the symbiote groups. And that's why he takes to Eddie and that's why they bond. So just that whole aspect was like, uh, I'm just not buying into it. I'm sorry. Just without that Spider-Man connection, it's not working. And yeah, so the pacing of it was really slow in the beginning. You just, I just kept thinking to myself, okay, when is he going to get the symbiote and become Venom? Because unfortunately, like I said, I just wasn't getting into the story for me to enjoy it enough to where it was kind of having a smooth, fast-paced thing where I didn't mind if they didn't get to Venom. But what that wasn't the case. I was waiting for Eddie to get the symbiote. And I will say the positive 
a part of the movie for me is when he actually does get the symbiote. And you've seen those moments in the trailer where those uh, mercenary men who are working for the Life Foundation attack his apartment. And then we see Eddie attacking them with the symbiote. And then we get that motorcycle chase. And seeing the symbiote and him interact was really great. They did have some good dialogue, like the symbiote talking to Eddie Brock in his head. That made for some funny moments, I will say. And that whole sequence, of the action was cool there. The motorcycle chase was pretty cool, seeing the symbiote uh, do some things to protect Eddie. And then when he finally, the symbiote becomes full-on Venom was really cool. And there was a cool fight sequence he had with uh, the SWAT scene, which was the highlight of the movie, because <laughs> it was really cool action seeing uh, Venom do what he does. And the, the visual effects are really good on Venom. I really like the design of for the character. Definitely much better looking than Spider-Man 3, without question. But even though he didn't have the symbiote Spider-Man logo, that you know is an iconic logo and it's such a key thing for Venom and why his suit is so cool. Even though that was missing, it was they still did a good job in doing what they. Uh, could without it because his face looked awesome just the big mouth the teeth <laughs> the tongue it was all there so that was the positive aspect for it but then like the final act was just so lackluster you had your generic villain like i said riz Ahmed's character your typical evil businessman who only cares about you know wanting to get this project off the ground that he was doing with the symbiotes and of course you know what happens when there's a evil businessman who's working on something that the hero has they got to get the evil version of that <laughs> so one of the evil symbiotes riot goes on him and they have a very short battle that wasn't anything great so yeah not really the best venom movie that i was hoping for i think a venom solo movie could work you just need to have that spider-man connection have him have the symbiote be a part of spider-man first have venom get it have him and spider-man clash and then he goes off and does his own thing in San Francisco like he does in the comics. I just love that story in those comics where Venom and Spider-Man come to agreement after fighting all the time that Venom would leave and he'd go to San Francisco and become like the lethal protector like that comic series was. So, yeah, not a fan of it. I'm sad to say. It just makes, like I said, very frustrating because Venom's one of my favorite characters and now it's going to be like they're 0 for 2 now with Spider-Man 3 and this. I'm, I just think I don't know if I'm ever going to get that classic Spider-Man Venom story that I know is out there and can be told really well in a movie, but so far we haven't gotten it yet. Well, and we I did. Like, I mean, we did. It's it's called Spider-Man Three, like you said. Uh, Unfortunately, I said, I, wanted, I said done well. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I'll say too, I forgot the end credit scene. Yeah, trying to set up something big, but it came off really flat. Eddie Brock goes to a prison. What he said, he's to interview someone, and you know right away who that's going to be, Cletus Cassidy, a.k.a. Carnage. And Woody Harrelson's actually playing in him, and I think he'd actually he'd make for a really good Cletus Cassidy Carnage because he could play a, a crazy serial killer. And he had that coming across in this one scene he was in, but he had the worst red-haired wig <laughs> I think you could get. It just came off really goofy and how he looked in that in that thing. So, And of course, the last word he said to create a tease was goes, when I get out of here, there's going to be carnage. Ugh. Fade to black. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it didn't do the job as hard getting me excited for a sequel. I mean, I hate saying this because never do I want a comic book movie to fail unless it's really something horrible like Batman and Robin was. And this Venom isn't on that level. Like that there's parts in it that are cool to see, but 
I just don't want it to succeed because then I'd hopefully Sony would just give up on their upcoming shared universe project with their Spider-Man characters without Spider-Man being involved. I mean, they got the Morbius movie plan with Jared Leto, the Black Cat, uh, uh, Craven the Hunter movie, which he should be a Spider-Man, a villain in a Spider-Man movie, not his own film. It's just like, I just don't want to see this shared universe get off the ground. So I think Venom's actually having, it's setting October records for a box office. And it, I think it had a relatively smaller budget than most comic book movies. So it's probably going to do well enough to get a sequel, but yeah, it's just, nah, like I said, it's just the whole thing's frustrating. Spider-Man's doing awesome in the MCU, and I just want him to grow as a character in that universe. But no, we got this whole other corner that of his characters and universe that Sony is using that should just be used in the MCU universe. I mean, it kills me that we're never going to see Venom probably in the MCU unless Marvel fully gets the rights back somehow, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon and definitely won't if this universe is successful. So it's just a mess. Sony is just screwing things up. <laughs> they had a great thing going with Spider-Man in the MCU, but they still got to be greedy and have their own shared universe of Spider-Man character. That's just really, really frustrating. I'm surprised with, um, you know, uh, Disney owning Marvel that they, they just can't buy the rights back. Yeah, all that legal stuff that's around yeah. there. I'm sure. I wonder if Disney would, you know, pony up a bunch of money and pay more than they probably should for Spider-Man back. Would Sony be willing to do that? I mean, would and Disney to overpay to get Spider-Man yeah. back? I think it'd be worth it in the long run. Yeah. Um, so is Venom is more of a wait for it sort of yeah. thing. Wait for it to be on sale sort of thing. Yeah, because okay. I, I probably wouldn't. I'm not going to buy the Blu-ray because I really just be buying it for about 20 minutes of the movie <laughs> that I think were cool. So it's going to be one of the things probably like if it's on sale or I see a digital sale of it, I'll probably buy it and see those 20 minutes again. <laughs> yeah, because like I said, visually Venom looked awesome, and the comic book fan of me of the character did geek out in a few moments seeing the symbiote in action, but they were too few <laughs> and far <laughs> between the actual whole movie. So I probably give the whole thing a, a two out of five. Wow, really? Yeah. I think that's the lowest you've ever given a comic book uh, movie. Yeah, you're Um, probably right. I'm pretty easy to please with this, but this is one of those cases where, you know... uh, Nothing's working. Yeah, I just... That story aspect of him with Spider-Man is so important to me, I don't think it could work without it, Mm -hmm. and I think it showed. And I know there's some people who love it and don't really mind having Spider-Man not be involved, and that's cool for them that they're able to get that enjoyment of Venom and the character uh, and his background story without that. That's cool. But for me, it's just such an integral part to why I like the character that it just didn't work for me. You know what? I totally forgot that Sony tried to do a Gambit movie. No, Fox is trying to do a Gambit movie. Fox, Sorry. Yeah. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. And that uh, <laughs> I've, Gambit is one of my favorite X-Men. I loved him in the animated series and some of those early 90 comics. And my biggest hope ever since the first X-Men movie was, can we get Gambit on the team? I would love to see him as part of the X-Men team, but I never wanted a solo movie of the character <laughs> because I, he, he has a okay backstory. I think it can work if they do it right. But now Fox is saying that it's going to be like a romantic love comedy movie, which I don't think <laughs> is the best way to go for the character. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if that movie's ever going to happen because right now they have a, tentative release date for 2020 and i think the disney fox sale will be done 
by then. And I can't see Disney going along with that. <laughs> and just they're going to want to do their own thing with the X-Men. Well, at least, at least Disney will, or Marvel will have some kind of control over um, X-Men. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Because yeah. I'm not too excited about Dark Phoenix either. I didn't really like that trailer. I haven't even seen it. Um, I, I, I've just seen the ad on Twitter. Uh, it's <laughs> It just there's nothing really new or exciting about it that gets you pumped up like oh cool and it's this is like the, almost the same thing with Venom it's the second attempt to do the Dark Phoenix story right yeah. and right I think they're going to be zero for two on that one <laughs> as well seems like they might be repeating some of the same mistakes so, that they did in X Men Last Stand and Dark Phoenix so um, Jessica Chastain is going to be playing is is, is the star in that movie yeah mm. yeah. She's playing an alien. Hopefully, she's playing Lalandra, the you know Empress of the Shi'ar Empire. Who the Shi'ar is a huge, huge part of the Phoenix story. Which you know, but I, I'm not holding my breath that Fox is going to go that route. There's going to be, I mean, director Simon Kinberg has said there's going to be some space elements to it, but I'm sure it's going to be very minimal and not what it really needs to be the to, to do the Phoenix story right which I know Marvel Studios would do if they had it because they go all crazy with cosmic stuff. So that's, I just really can't wait for that Fox deal to get done and Disney and Marvel Studios can get these characters back to where they belong and hopefully done right this time. Yeah, and sort of eliminate the multiple timeline stuff. Yeah, it, um, the continuity in X-Men is just really bad in <laughs> the movies. Certain things work, certain things don't make sense. And like I said, the timelines that you think got fixed, but it's still messed up. They try to make it where all these movies are part of the same thing. But if you were watch, to watch all of them together, there's no way they're all going to make sense. There's tons yeah. of continuity holes in there. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, we're, we're talking about Disney and Marvel and Disney buying Fox and stuff. I should say, too, I'm sounding um, like I don't like any of the X-Men movies. I'm a big <laughs> fan of a lot of those X-Men movies. I mean, the first two, X2 is one of my favorite comic book movies ever. I love X-Men Days of Future Past. The Wolverine was good. And Logan is one of the best comic book movies. So there's yeah. been quite a few great X-Men movies. It's just there's been a lot of, you know, swings and misses in there <laughs> as well. Yeah, but, um, you know, we're talking about Disney and Fox and Marvel and stuff. What was the last movie that Disney put out under Disney? Was it the Beauty and the Beast one? The live yeah, action think, Beauty and the I think Beast? They've had some other ones after that. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, what was that one? Oh, that Wrinkle in Time. That oh, one Wrinkle was, in Time. Yeah, I think oh, okay. I don't know if that was the last one, but that was one of the more recent ones, and that came out this past March. Yeah, I was just wondering because. You know, we we talk about Avengers, and then we talk about Star Wars, and then we talk about I don't know X Men or whatever. But, <laughs> but what we know the what last... their big bread and butters are. Yeah. <laughs> those two franchises. What was the last big Disney movie? Was it A Wrinkle in Time? It didn't do that great, though. Yeah. I don't know if you, I didn't hear if you said last big movie. I would think that was one of the last ones that wasn't. Marvel yeah, well, or Star Wars, and not animated, because I don't know if you're counting animated ones. Cause... Yeah, no, uh, nothing under Pixar, um, <laughs> just strictly Disney. They got... It doesn't matter if it's animated or not. What was the last big movie that they had? Was yeah, it, I suppo- I think was it they... supposed to be John Carter? Well, that was before they had Star Wars. Though. Yeah, yeah. 
I think you're right. The last big one probably was Beauty and the Beast, I think, because that mm. made over a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Then they got two coming out this Christmas with uh, that their Nutcracker movie, which they had they had a trailer of when they showed Venom, and then uh, Mary Poppins Returns is their other big one for this year. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know, you don't hear too too much uh, big movie wise from the original Disney. <laughs> yeah, because uh, movie studio. They really haven't had much success. I mean, because yeah. uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the last one, didn't do that great, I don't think. Remember, they tried doing Tomorrowland as a movie with George Clooney. That oh, didn't really yeah, do that right, good. Right. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, I never saw it. I never really looked too much into yeah. the premise of it. But <laughs> wasn't, so, that, yeah, I think, wasn't that supposed to be like like the Disney characters come alive or something? <laughs> This <laughs> have something to do with the the parks, Disneyland, right? yeah, yeah, Tomorrowland part of it, but I don't know how much. I know there was no Star Tours in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you know what I've been meaning to ask you did Did you see uh, Ready Player One? Yeah, I did. Uh, worth watching or no? I really liked it. Yeah, mm. I think it was kind of a cool like love letter to video game fans. It is what the future could be for video games. It sent to me yeah. a really realistic possibility of where games can go and how like big corporate companies can try to exploit that <laughs> and use it but at yeah. the same time it's filled with cool easter eggs and you know uh, references to comic books and old movies so i really liked it a lot i don't know hearing mixed things about it yeah so, I, it was i think it was had mixed reactions to it but i fall in the camp that really liked it mm. no star uh, wars though right no uh, um, star wars references not really or, a few yeah like they do a name drop of the Falcon. And mm. I think you might see an X-Wing or two in one sequence. But yeah, yeah it's not, yeah, a, whole, not a whole lot of Star Wars stuff. <laughs> I'm sure uh, Disney slash Lucasfilm was like, no, we're not going to be in your movie. <laughs> or at least not a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, let's get on to our news and discussion topics because we, we have, we have a ton of them. Yeah. Um, it's gonna, the last two weeks. going to start things off with a, uh, a sort of sad one. Yeah, this is a that's bummer. yeah. It's uh, unfortunately Norm Brayfogle. If you don't know, I mean, if you're new to Batman or whatever, um, you've seen his artwork before. It's usually Batman standing on a building, um, cape blowing in the wind. Um, if you've seen something like that, uh, the blue suit, then you've probably seen something Norm Bray- Brayfogle has done because that's exactly what he specialized in. These sort of cinematic. We're just standing still, still picture, sort of epic look to his artwork. Uh, it's it's unfortunate that he passed away, and I, I know there was like a Kickstarter, I mean a, a GoFundMe, GoFundMe for uh, for him. I think he uh, yeah, because he, he suffered from a stroke. Of, yeah, right, a, right. A few years ago, and I think I mean in the announcement, I don't think his family actually revealed exactly how it how he died. But I'm pretty sure it's because of some complications from the stroke he had a few years ago. Yeah, I think sad. you're right. The more they were, there was like some Kickstarters or GoFundMe stuff to try to help support him in his medical uh, bills that he had because of that. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because he was a great Batman artist. I mean, he yeah. he, he created the the not the iconic Batman, but sort of the iconic image of Batman, the the, the sort of Batman that. Jim Lee and all these other great artists try to, you know, make their own, right? Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, really unfortunate. I know you like the long ears, Tim. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, you said definitive Batman. For me, he was like the definitive modern Batman artist for me growing up as a kid because, I mean, you know how much I love Nightfall. But even a little bit before that, like, because Nightfall was my first time I started collecting Batman comics on the regular. And Norm Breifogel was one of, you know, the artists for those early Nightfall books. And I just fell in love with it. And then you go back to, I mean, talk about something that you should be extremely proud of being the first artist to draw Tim Drake's iconic Robin costume. I mean, I think that's become the iconic Robin costume. Now you don't see any other adaptions, whether it's in live actions, animation. Now it's all based on that Tim Drake first Robin costume, which is amazing. I remember I've said this before, how much I love that suit and just seeing it for the first time thinking, Oh man, this is like the perfect way to update Robin's costume. It's just brilliant. And you were talking about, um, you know, some of like his, art style the drawings that he had probably my favorite one of his is one where batman and robin are on the building batman has you know the cape covering like his, the bottom portion of his cowl right, right. and robin's right there the you know the bat signal light shining on them you got bats flying on there i just absolutely love that image that perfectly showcases how batman and robin were at that time and it's one of the best looks that batman and robin have ever had i mean um, you'll probably, as you're listening to this episode now, you'll see that that's the cover art for <laughs> this episode. I mean, wanted to pay tribute a little bit to Norm Bray Folk, but I think that was the perfect image to use. I just love it so much and always heard great things about him as a person too. And going back to, you know, where we got our podcasting start, Dane on Gotham Nights Online, where, yeah. uh, Bob there did an interview with him where he just came across as just a really, uh, nice guy who always interacted with his fans when he had the chance to. So, yeah, definitely a loss for the comic community and for us as Batman fans. And I'm sad to say it's become, we've been losing quite a few of these great comic book creators more recently. I mean, Len Wein not too long ago, Darwin Cook and Norm Breifogel now. So it is just disappointing to hear. But as always, their work's going to live on forever amongst comic book fans, and especially when it's as good as the artwork that Norm Breifogel has done. So, yeah, he will be missed. It's also a great reminder that, you know, the, these artists, these writers are freelancers, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. unfortunately, if you're a freelancer, you don't get the benefits that a full employee would would get, um, including medical. And it, it's it seemed like, and I mean, that's why he, he did the GoFundMe, or his family did the GoFundMe, which is just really sad and it's a, it's a great reminder that these these people are freelancers you know they're 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 not part of the dc company even though even though you can create something that's so iconic that you know lasts this long uh it's it's just really unfortunate yeah and not to mention too going back to some of his creative accomplishments i mean and there was something like that 90s like late 80s mid early 90s area era where i was getting into batman comics for the first time on the regular some of those characters that he created that have become classics now like the ventriloquist and scarface mr zaz jeremiah arkham but ventriloquist and zaz in particular i mean i remember those early nightfall issues where they were you know some key characters in those first like issue or part two and part three i just remember really loving the artwork that he did for them and then bane i think he he didn't create bane but those early nightfall issues 
have the best Bane drawings. I think that's my favorite of the character. Even later on, once we get when Snyfall has some other artists working on there, and that the way Norm Breitvogel drew Bane and his his mask was just I think amazing and <laughs> the coolest looking version of Bane that still holds up to this day. So just even on, you know, the characters that he drew looking amazing, but he also had a creative hand in you know, creating some of Batman's more well-known villains now today, like Mr. Zaz and Ventriloquist and, Starfa- and Scarface. Yes, it's uh, Ventriloquist and Scarface. <laughs> what did I say? Did I say Starface or something? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, you, you made the distinction that there's two different characters. <laughs> I, uh, well, I just like that. <laughs> Technically, they are. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they're two separate personalities. Uh, yeah, it, it's unfortunate, and uh, we just hope the family the best. Definitely, um, yeah. But now we can move on to some more positive news. Um, Black Canary and Huntress has been cast. Um, I think uh, it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Is it Winstead? And yeah. um, Joe, I said Jolie, uh, Journey, <laughs> Smollett Bill. That sounds good to me because you know okay, how I put yeah, your name. You know, so uh, <laughs> I'll defer to you. I know about the you and names. Um, so yeah, they're gonna be Black Black Canary and Huntress. Uh, haven't really seen these two. I think I've seen Mary Elizabeth Winstead in um, uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Uh, okay, she's really good in it. So. I haven't seen uh, Journey, Smollett, Bell in in anything though. Yeah, I haven't seen her in anything as well. But like you, I have seen Mary Elizabeth Winstead, but not in Ten Cloverfield Lane, just in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Though, she was my only that's my only exposure to her as an actress. But she was great in that too. But yeah, I think I like both casting choices. I think they're both are going to be good for the part. And yeah, I'm just ones I'm really waiting for though are. Cassandra Kane and Black Mass. I mean, I just can't wait to see who's playing those because they're the two characters I'm most excited for in this movie. And I think the rumor mill, once this uh, announcement got made, is that uh, Ewan McGregor was among the names being considered for Black Mass. And if that happens, oh boy, <laughs> my excitement will be taken to another level for this movie if Ewan McGregor is going to be playing Black Mass. I think that'd be really cool. So we'll have to wait and see on those two characters. But good to know that probably two of the biggest characters who are going to be here in this movie alongside Harley Quinn, Huntress and Black Canary have been cast. So this, you know, going to be cool to see once we always, when we find out who's cast as comic book characters, the next step that I'm always can't wait to see for, and it's going to be cool once we do is see them in costume. So I'm sure that'll be next. Uh, once filming starts rolling out, rolling around. It seems like, um, you and McGregor is like attached to everything. Yeah, you know, like the, the Obi Wan movie and all this. Well, movie. that's got to be a priority. If, <laughs> if well, he that's doesn't on, have to, right? He doesn't have to, but yeah. it should be. <laughs> you can get a uh, Brad Pitt as um, Obi Wan. Uh, no thanks. <laughs> well, I mean, he he played uh, Billy Bean. He doesn't look like anything like Billy Bean. <laughs> <laughs> well, Obi Wan's a more important character than Billy Bean and Moneyball. I'm sorry, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, spe- speaking of the Birds of Prey casting, uh, uh, Renee Renee Montoya has been cast, and it's going to be uh, Rosie Perez from uh, White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was surprising to me because uh, 
I mainly remember Rosie Perez from those 90s movies, like <laughs> White Man Can't Jump, where she's like the loud, kind of obnoxious character yeah. <laughs> who kind of never shuts up. <laughs> and But I think she's obviously done more <laughs> since then. I mean, in the, I think from the Hollywood Reporter, when the story that had the casting, she's been, uh, or she won an Oscar or and a Golden Globe nominations for the movie Fearless and Emmy nominations for her works on In Living Color. And she's been on NBC's Rise and uh, the UK series Bounty Hunters. So I'm sure she's done some uh, more serious drama type stuff since those early 90s <laughs> roles that I remember her from. But I actually actually kind of surprised her going with kind of more of an older Renee Montoya for this movie instead of kind of keeping it more with because, you know, Rose, I don't know how old exactly Rosie Perez is, but I think she is older than most of the main cast that we're going to see amongst the Birds of Prey, like Harley, Huntress, and uh, Black Canary. <laughs> but So I found that a little interesting, but I guess they maybe wanted to do something a little different with Renee Montoya for this storyline. Um, so yeah, uh, our, our next piece of news is that the, the um, there's a new Titans trailer. Um, I was watching it while you were talking about Venom, Tim. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it looks more cinematic. But, like I said in previous episodes when we were talking about the first Titans trailer, it looked, <laughs> they, they still have that look of, of Arrow. Uh, the same alley slash warehouse in Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> they, they just can't shake it. Um, yeah, still not sold on this show. I, I just don't know what it is about it. Still not, st- still not... I'm still going to wait for your review, Tim. I'll put it that way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I got to say, this. I really like this trailer a lot more than I did the first one. Kind of moved away from showing how dark and gritty it is and no more F Batman type stuff <laughs> in this trailer. And I just really liking uh, Brandon Thwaites, if I'm saying his last name right, his portrayal as Dick Grayson and Robin. I really liking what I'm seeing of him uh, in this trailer and some of the other clips we saw. So the, I thought the fighting looked fighting action sequence look really cool more so than the first trailer was him using the bow staff is taking down those criminals. And I really was excited to see beast boys powers on display here. Cause that's one of the things I'm excited to see in the show and curious how they're going to pull off. And it looks like they're going to pull it off pretty well with his uh, transformations into the different animals. And this one we show him transforming into a tiger, taking down some enemies, which was cool. I don't know why the actor who's playing, uh, Beast Boy, he reminds me a lot of the actor who played Flash in Justice League, Ezra Miller. They kind of have the same face, and I don't know if they're going to go for the same personality type quirks that he has, but I'm getting an Ezra Miller Flash vibe from uh, Beast Boy here. So, yes, I like seeing more of the team together aspect in this trailer, showing that they are going to be working together and how their dynamics are going to work. It seems it's going to be pretty cool. But um, the one thing I'm a little concerned about and it's not specifically said in this trailer, but I've heard reports as they had some stuff going on at New York Comic Con this weekend after recording this episode. Um, they say they're talking about why Dick has left Batman and gone to Detroit. He mentioned somehow like we couldn't agree on how to do things in our line of work, some to that effect. And now I'm hearing some stuff out of the New York Comic Con in the premiere because they had the premiere there or the first episode. And I haven't had a chance to read any reviews for it. I should probably do that to see kind of what the buzz is. Uh, for the first episode, but I've heard that Batman's going to be a killer again in this series. And I'm like, really? Do we got to do that again? 
do we gotta have that be the reason why dick has left batman i mean we know that wasn't the reason why in the comics and the course in the animated series why they had a falling out and i kind of don't want to see that to be the reason maybe it's something where dick thinks that and that's not really the case and yeah you know some where Batman is not a, really a killer, but if that is the case, it's like uh, it's going to be one aspect I'm not excited about. But yeah, well, I mean, to, to be fair, I think that was a little taken out of hand. I mean, out of context, I think it was more of like a a metaphor sort of thing, okay. rather than Batman kills people. You know, so mm. that that could be true. Yeah, maybe some of the things that he does causes some people to die or whatnot. I don't know, but. We'll have to wait and see, but that's one thing I'm kind of iffy about. We'll just have to wait and see how it plays out over the course of the season. So I'm looking forward to it. And again, not to sound like a broken record, but I'm hoping I can see it sooner rather than later, as soon as the DC Universe app gets on <laughs> Xbox and PS4. I mean, this whole weekend that New York Comic Con is going on, that's like the one announcement I'm waiting for. I'm seeing tweets from the DC Universe Twitter account about some new stuff that's coming out, but I was like, all I care about is when it's coming on PS4 and Xbox. <laughs> Just let me know that. But so far, no details on that. So there's only a few weeks left, though, because we're in October now. And I forget the exact date, but it's like in the middle of October. So they don't have much time left. <laughs> um, yeah, so our next piece of news is something that's going to get Tim really excited. So I'm just going to say it, and then, uh, Tim, you can give your thoughts on it. Okay. Because I know you're going to like it. At least I hope you are. Um, and that's the first te- teaser trailer for the Harley Quinn animated series. Yes, this was a nice surprise to get from the new stuff coming out of New York Comic Con. And I got to say, overall, I really like this trailer except for one thing. And I'll just get that right off the bat. I don't like how they're kind of making Harley Quinn to be like the DC Universe's Deadpool. I mean, she calls out Deadpool in this trailer. <laughs> I mean, she's breaking the fourth wall. I mean, it's funny, but I just don't see Harley Quinn as that type of character. So all of that put aside, I got to say the animation style looks great. Um, Kaylee uh, Kuoko from The Big Bang Theory. I, mean, Brit, I guess they're going to get all Big Bang Theory actresses to play Harley Quinn now. <laughs> but I thought she did a great job voicing Harley in this trailer. I think she sounds great as Harley. Um, more so than uh, I'm blanking on the actress's name right now, but the one who voiced her in the Batman and Harley animated movie. I think Kelly Cuoco here does a much better job. She has that Harley vocal tone that I really like and that not every actress gets. That reminds me of Arlene Sorkin's uh, fantastic portrayal as Harley in the animated series. So I do like that. Her conversation with Poison Ivy was pretty funny. And she was Poison Ivy saying, everyone's going to hate it. Everyone likes everything to be dark and gritty and all that stuff. While Harley is saying her show is going to be fun and action-packed and all that. And then we had a great moment where Batman's head just pops down, upside down from their jail cell, and it's Diedrich Bader from The Brave and the Bold doing his voice, which is awesome. So this series looks really fun. The animation style looks great, so I think it could be pretty cool. But I just hope they don't really make or try to make Harley Quinn into the DC Universe's Deadpool character. That type of archetype of a character was always like breaking the fourth wall and calling out certain things, because I don't really see Harley as that. But if we just get a fun animated series with Harley with this type of animation, I think it's going to be really cool. So I'm excited for it. All right. So uh, uh, same scenario, Tim, for this next one, because I I follow you on Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen you do, Dave? What you, <laughs> I've been meaning to hit that unfollow button, but or that yeah. mute, mute button, but <laughs> I haven't gotten around to it. 
Um, and I've seen you talking about it. So uh, the second Aquaman trailer, Tim. And then, yeah, I'll give, and then I'll give my thoughts on it. Okay. This was another nice surprise to get. I mean, James Wan just said it on Thursday. Hey, expect something tomorrow on Twitter after he sent a new poster image out. And okay, cool. We're going to get a new trailer. And then I, you know, once I saw it yesterday, I opened up on YouTube and I see that it's five minutes. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this is, you know, definitely an extended trailer. Kind of one of those scenarios where I don't know if I should probably watch watch all of it because I'm usually good with two trailers and maybe a clip or two. And after that, I don't want to see any new footage for an upcoming movie. And so knowing that it's five minutes, pretty safe to say there's going to be a lot of new footage in here. But I watched all of it. And I got to say, I'm glad I did because I pretty much loved almost everything about this <laughs> that I'm seeing in Aquaman. It just looks really, really cool and unique and something we've never seen in a comic book superhero type film before. The Just like in the first trailer, the cinematography and like the landscape of Atlantis looks beautiful and incredible with all the creatures there. But what really blew me away in this trailer was the action sequences we're going to get. That whole chase scene with black manson and his man looks awesome i mean just seeing him jump you know fire his big laser beam jump on the top of that building to confront arthur and mara and that little skirmish that aquaman and black manson had their fight choreography was like a few seconds but it looked really cool and i can't wait to see more of that and it's a cool chase sequence where you're just following along mara as black manson's men's blasting her from the bottom of the building while they're inside ramming through walls and then you get you follow her along, then you reach a point where it focuses on Aquaman as Black Manta's chasing him. All that stuff looks awesome, and Black Manta suits just can't look any better. I just love it. And then Aquaman's fight with his brother Orm, we saw a little more of that in this trailer, and that fight choreography looked awesome. So everything about it really, really looks cool. And yeah, I mean, when this was brought to my attention yesterday. Maybe not every VFX shot looked finished and great were... There were some moments you could tell there was characters on a blue screen. I'm not going to deny where it looks perfect, but I think it's something they can easily have fixed by the time the movie is done where that won't be an issue. So, uh, yeah, I'm loving it. Just, I just can't wait to see it now. That's just <laughs> where I'm at. I've seen enough footage as I want to. Let's just get to December and when the movie comes out because I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be awesome. So yes, now I'm curious uh, if it um, changed your mind, but I have a feeling it didn't. <laughs> I'm still not sold on it. Um, for one thing, Jason Momoa slash Aquaman he ha- has to stop broing out. You know, like, he, it's kind of at that to... point for me. It was like I know that's the character he is now. Yeah, so I'm, I'm yeah. just rolling with it. I did like him in the suit, though the the original suit. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. he looked I really good to in it. that. The classic suit. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I've got to say. I know there's been images of toys out there with him in it, so I, I knew we were probably going to see the suit in the movie, but I'm still surprised they kind of went with the classic bright orange and green because the mm. suit he had in Justice League, I thought was as far as they were going to go, was kind of recreating the Aquaman costume from the comics. So the fact they're going full-blown, full orange and green, I think is awesome. <laughs> it looked really cool. Well, that brings up another uh, another point, the, the bright orange and the green and you know things like that. I felt I, I feel like because they went so dark with Batman versus Superman and mm-hmm. um, Suicide Squad and uh, uh, Justice League, even it seems like they're going really out of their way to make it super bright. Um, 
to the point where have you I know you bought bought it Tim but have you played Street Fighter 5 yet just like a match or two <laughs> not, oh, not really okay. dived into it yet uh, it looks like I can't remember the name of the stage but I know it's uh, Laura's uh, home <laughs> home stage okay yeah, I'm um, not familiar with the stages just yeah yet. <laughs> yeah um, don't worry because you'll see it um, I can't remember the name of it, but that whole chase scene reminds me of the background of that. Mm, okay. um, it, it's super bright. <laughs> you can see nothing but the, but the roofs. Um, it, 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 there's there's something wrong with it. It, it. it doesn't look right. Maybe maybe it's because like like you said, the, the CGI isn't done. Uh, maybe the film isn't quite done yet. Um, so. Yeah, it's definitely not. <laughs> yeah, de- de- definitely not done. Um, so I don't know. Just something just looks wrong. The underwater scenes, like I don't know how that's gonna work. Um, it 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 looks really awkward. Um, <laughs> and the stuff on land, it looks really, really, really like it's blasting you with light. <laughs> uh, seems like there's no real tone to it. You have these dark underwater scenes. I mean, they're underwater, right? So of course it's going to be dark. But the you you have this dark underwater scenes that look like Gotham underwater, right? And then <laughs> I didn't get that impression. <laughs> and then you have this bright Power Rangers scene, right? And well, mm. when they're running on the roof, you know, it, it reminds me of the the Power Rangers movie with uh, Elizabeth Banks. Uh, <laughs> well, man, I didn't get any of those. But <laughs> um, so I don't know. It just seems like there's something off, and I don't know. It, it, it did not sell me. Again, it's going to be a wait and see on Tim's review. Uh, wait and see on re- uh, real critics' reviews. See how that's going. Um, yeah, I don't know, Dave. I have a feeling. I'm really going to like this one. Even if I yeah. tell you I really like it a lot, it's not going to be up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's still a wait and see for me, um, unfortunately. Yeah, I got even when I was watching it, I knew we were going to talk about it. I was like, I, I'm not seeing anything in here that's probably going to change Dane's mind on this. <laughs> Just like more of the stuff that you didn't really get yeah. into with the first trailer. So got to see it. I'm not too surprised. Plus two, it's it's so overboard. Um, you know, with the uh, Aquaman lifting the submarine, um, that sort of underwater battle. Uh, <laughs> but that's what you want in Aquaman. Yeah, movies, yeah. I mean, that's what cool you want. underwater and, stuff. <laughs> and, you know, the crashing, the huge crashing storm waves and stuff like that. It just seems like it's way too overboard and I'm getting the feeling that I did when we saw the Justice League trailer and then when we saw the uh, Batman vs. Superman trailer where it's like okay so they're only showing the action scenes like what's what's going on here you <laughs> well know? you know that's the, that's the selling points of right, most right. of these comics yeah though, yeah so. <laughs> I mean the, the big fight scenes you know um, so oh, yeah. I, I'm getting the feeling it might just be big fight scenes <laughs> <laughs> and the story might not be so good. Um, same thing with the Venom trailer. You know, we, we got, 
Uh, well, Eddie, was, to Ed, me, that Ed, was Eddie very Bruce, bland. <laughs> Eddie Brock <laughs> like, freaking out, and then there's a motorcycle chase, and then you know people are screaming and yelling and stuff like that. And you found out why because the story isn't very good. So yeah, I'm sort of getting the feeling that this is the same case here. Um, it looks great. I mean, it, 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 the, that action scene looked great. Uh, what they were doing and the, the sort of single camera moving from um, Mera to, to uh, Aquaman, stuff like that. Um, but I don't know. I'm getting that same feeling, Tim. Yeah, I have a feeling this one's not going to be for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no matter yeah. how much I love it. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm definitely going to wait for the Tim review, the official Tim review. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to wait for um, the critics' reviews um, to counterbalance Tim because all those critics, every single one of them listed on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, can barely cover Tim's love for this Aquaman yeah. movie. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's it for our news. Uh, now we can get to our conversation with Alex and listen. Actually, to real that. quick, Dave. Oh, yeah. Since we're on the topics of trailers, yeah. let's just add one more real quick. It's not DC related. Have you seen the. Not the latest, latest, but I think it came out last week or earlier this week the, for Daredevil season three. No, I haven't. Um, and there's man. a reason. There's a reason. To, <laughs> well, 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 let me uh, let me give you uh, let, let me tell you why before. Okay. <laughs> before you get into your review, that's because after season two, um, after the the, the Punisher part. Uh-huh. Uh, it sort of fell off the the wagon for me. Uh, mm. it, really, the, the whole Electra thing wasn't really doing it for me. So okay, yeah. Well, I think you should probably check out this trailer because first off, it's amazing. <laughs> They're getting back to the Kingpin Daredevil battle against each other, like we had in season one. But I think they're taking it up a notch. The action sequence looks really great. The dialogue between Fisk and Matt Murdock that we got in this trailer, like really intense. And, you know, it's just going to bring about some great moments between those two actors and more great fight choreography that they showed. And a little tease to about what else is Matt Murdock is going to be going up against this season. So I think check out the trailer. I think it'll get you excited for this season again. If the Electra and the hand stuff wasn't up your alley in season yeah. two. I don't think they're going to be dealing with that because they kind of took care of that whole storyline in the Defenders TV show. So that's right. pretty much done with. And plus, too, Punisher has his own show, too. Exactly. So it's just going to be a Daredevil show now. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'll check it out. But um question I have is, is Kingpin the, the, the penguin of the <laughs> Daredevil universe slash Marvel I guess you could make that comparison. He's in the Spider-Man game, and mm-hmm. he's also in this. So, yeah, is he is. But I think he's more of a big-time mob boss and a big, a bigger legitimate presence in the city too. You know, has more influence, I think, than Penguin does. It is feared more, I think, too. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, also, spe- I will say, uh, speaking of uh, a kingpin. Uh-huh. Michael Clark Duncan is Kingpin in the original Daredevil movie. Mm. Only good thing about that movie. Really? I, thought he, I still I, haven't seen I, I that I thought movie. he did a really good job. Mm. I, I did. <laughs> but uh, so, sorry I interrupted you. What were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say, speaking of the Spider-Man game, yeah. I just, real quick, I want you to tell me if I'm almost done. Okay. I just finished the part on the raft that we saw in the trailer where Spider-Man gets 
beaten up by all the Sinister Six villains that we saw in that E3 trailer. And oh. now, like, the city's in chaos. <laughs> so you, that's are, I... you are about... You're closing in almost at uh, three quarters done. Okay. Yeah. Um, that was the the scene I was talking about when I reviewed it, uh, where uh, I said that Doc Ock kind of got introduced too fast. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I actually I agree in... with that. Oh, I, you I will agree with that. Oh, you felt the same way. Yeah, just that his yeah. turn into like full on villain and working with these guys that sent like kinda out of nowhere they were planting the seeds a little bit before that. But I right. thought there'd be a little more of him like fully going down to like madness type and evil before he mixes up with the other villains. So I, I do agree with that. And, and you've listened to all of all of those recordings. I I'm pretty sure I did, most of them. Mm. <laughs> and it still was too fast for you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay, but that was a pretty cool fight, though. Uh, yeah, I love that whole yeah. sequence. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, yeah, gotta try to beat it before Red Dead Two comes out. So oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like in a week or two. So good to be kind of almost there. I just pre-ordered my copy, so. Cool. Um, yeah, so so you're just right below three quarters done because you, um, you're still gonna have to go after um, uh, Electro and. Uh, yeah, like uh, I just got those name? missions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Rhino. No, yeah, the green guy. <laughs> Scorpion. Oh, Scorpion. Yeah. I thought it was Scor- Rhino and Scorpion Electro they, she mentioned. Maybe, I'm sure I'm going to face all of them. Uh, it's all three. Yeah, it's all three. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, the, the Scorpion fight is, especially when you're chasing after him, is really, really cool. Um, it's It reminded me heavily of... Uh, the first Arkham game where you're fighting uh, Scarecrow. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that whole sequence, too, where you're taking down uh, Mr. Negative, and like he has that whole... Uh, oh, the demon? The, yeah, yeah, the whole, like, that Oscorp facility hostage where you're married Jane, and she's, like, telling Spider-Man when to go take out some enemies. Then oh, after that, oh, you get yeah. that cool subway sequence where you're fighting him and then he makes a reference to spider-man 2 the movie <laughs> which is pretty funny <laughs> this man such great cinematic action in those story cutscenes, and that you get to play through it's really really I, cool i couldn't get the pattern down in the in the subway you know when really? you're throwing <laughs> the, the big shots yeah. and you gotta you gotta like flat, uh attach yourself to the side mm-hmm. of the, the car you know so. Yeah, I got hit a few times, but I was able to get it where I was dodging them pretty easily after a couple of hits. <laughs> All right, Tim, you're better than me in video games. <laughs> My spidey senses is a little more in tune to what's going on than yours, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, now, now we can get on to our conversation with Alex slash listener feedback. Um, and we do have an email from Jordan. Um, and did you want to read that, Tim? Um, yeah, got it up right here. So... As always, Jordan begins by saying, hey, Tim and Dane and Alex, I don't think there's cause for, let me start again. (laughs) I don't think there's cause for concern with regards to Henry Cavill's status as Superman. I was nervous at first, but once uh, Danny Garcia's tweet and WB statements were released, my worries were put to rest. I think there's a good chance that the Hollywood Reporter article was just a negotiating tactic, similar to how Matt Reeves left negotiations for directing the next live action Batman film originally in order to persuade Warner Brothers to give him the creative control he desired before he eventually did sign on. 
I'm guessing what's happening with Cavill isn't much different from that. He's my second favorite live-action Superman, only behind Tom Welling, of course. And I certainly really hope he sticks oh, around. I'm sorry. I don't mean to keep on inter- interrupting you, but... Um, the... the uh, I forget his name. Uh, the guy who played uh, Lex on, on Smallville. At Michael Rosenbaum? His podcast with um, Tom Welling. Uh, both oh, of did them. you listen to it? Yeah, they're really good. Okay, yeah. I, <laughs> I also, still gotta listen to that one. <laughs> I also listened to um, uh, the 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 actress who plays Emma Frost in um, The Flash. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm blanking on her yeah, name too. I can't too, remember but, her name. Uh, but it's her, not her Emma is, Frost. You mean kill? You mean Killer Frost? <laughs> Killer Frost. I'm sorry. Uh, Emma Frost is the X Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. January Jones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot. Um, but yeah, her one is also really good. That's cool. Yeah, I still gotta go back and listen to those ones, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. that Tom Welling one. I want to hear the reminisce about Smallville. <laughs> I didn't know he was. Uh, he he had no acting experience before. Oh really? I didn't know that either. Yeah, he was like a model or something. Mm. But anyway, sorry. I didn't okay. mean to <laughs> no problem. Still related to Smallville. Yeah. But Jordan says, and I certainly really hope he sticks around. I want to see more of his uh, super take on Superman so much. Even if he were to leave, though, which again, I really do not think it's likely, there are two silver linings. One, we are fortunate to have another super live action Superman right now. We will be seeing again in just over two months. And I believe he's referring to Supergirl Superman, which he's going to be in the crossover event later on in December. And then two, WB has an excellent track record with casting, so I'm confident whoever were to replace Cavill would be super as well. That's true, too. But yeah, I said this to Jordan when this news was first coming out a couple of weeks ago, how I think Jordan has the utmost positive optimism like Superman would have <laughs> regarding this, because I'm just not feeling that as good about it as Jordan is. I just do not trust Warner Brothers to do the right thing here and keep them, even if it is a negotiating tactic by Cavill. I have a feeling Warner Brothers would just balk at it or not even want to listen to it anymore, walk away. So uh, that might be the case, but I just have no confidence that Warner Brothers will do the right thing and sign him, which I think they should do because he is a great Superman. So uh, I hope you're right, Jordan. This is one of those instances where I hope I'm dead wrong and you are absolutely right. <laughs> so here's to that being the case eventually down the line. But he continues saying, last email I talked about how much I love the initial image of Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck. And now I can say that I also love the reveal of him actually as the Joker. That video Todd Phillips posted was so creepy. I think we're in for a terrifying performance from Phoenix in the role. I've long thought, probably said ever since I first saw the Batman the Animated Series episode Be a Clown as a young kid, that it would be very cool if at some point they really embrace a circus clown look for the Joker, like we've seen him posing as Jekko in Be a Clown. That seems to be the direction they're going in with, with Phoenix in Joker, so I'm all about that. We also just got the first image of Zazie Beats in the movie, and that looks great too. I'm very intrigued about her role in the film. The second Thomas Wayne casting hadn't been reported yet as of when I wrote my last email, but now I can say that I dig it. It's yet another example of DC's outstanding legacy casting. Brett Cullen is the third DC legacy casting in Joker, following Phoenix and Francis Conroy. I loved Cullen in The Dark Knight Rises, and I can't wait to see what he brings to the role of Thomas. I'm especially excited to see how Thomas fits into the story. I'm honestly hoping that speculation about this version of the Joker being Thomas's illegitimate child turns out to be accurate. I think that would be 
such a fascinating direction for them to take. Yeah, that one I'm still not sure about how that would work or if I'm sold on that aspect of the story, but we'll see. But I totally agree about you as far as him having that real circus clown look to his Joker. And it was funny, after we recorded our episode two weeks ago, Dane talking about that video Tom Phillips posted, we knew why he posted it because that same day we recorded our last episode, tons of set videos and more images have come out as him as the Joker. And he's just looking better and better. I love his suit that he has on. It has a little Cesar Romero vibe to it and the coloring. So it's all coming together for looking like a very unique but cool take on Joker. So right there with you on being excited about it, Jordan. Okay, Tim. The Daredevil trailer is really good. <laughs> oh, you watched it. <laughs> nice. Oh, man, that looks really good. It's it's exactly what I was hoping for for the, this season, especially after, like I said, the, the, the Punisher slash um, Electra one. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, man. <laughs> that guy is a scary, <laughs> scary person. Or at yeah, least he's it, a really good actor. And he um, has the white jacket. Classic King yeah, King yeah. <laughs> So there's two dare, Daredevils? Yeah, well, I don't know if this would be considered a spoiler. I don't know if you want me to say. but um, Does it have something to do with season two? No, not really. Or anything else with the... Defenders, or no, not really. Uh, just who they're bringing into the story. It's... I might as well, yeah. Might as well tell you or not tell you. Oh, uh, tell me, yeah. Oh, it's pretty much going to be Bullseye. Oh, Bullseye. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, man, that was really good. Uh, yeah. the action sequences, <laughs> how it's filmed. This is what Titan should be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, that was great. That was really great. Uh, and Netflix did a really good, great job. It, it really impressed me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be worth the wait. It's not like a long wait for season three, but man, I, I think it's going to be worth it. It looks so good. And I think they actually put out a new one today, and I'm not watching it, though, because like I was, we're about two weeks away. That last trailer was awesome. I'm good to go. I mean, <laughs> just give me the series now, so yeah. I can't wait for it. But glad you saw it and came around oh, on the date. <laughs> That made my day, Tim. You made my. <laughs> that was really, really good. That was really impressive. Uh, I almost want to watch it again, but we we, we have Jordan's email, so yes. Uh, <laughs> he has actually has an important question for you coming up right here, Dane. So. Okay. okay. Yeah. He goes. Sorry, Tim. Dane actually probably knows 100 times more about The Lord of the Rings than I do, as I haven't read any of the really? books or seen any of the films. But yeah, so after Jaws, Jordan, make Lord of the Rings trilogy next. Because <laughs> they're amazing. The only things I know about them are the DC connections. I know about Sauron because of the Lego Batman movie, and I know that several DC actors were in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies. So you know what? Maybe, just maybe, I can still actually stump Dane by asking him about that. What four DC actors appear in those films, Dane? Wow. Uh, Sean Bean? No. <laughs> okay. Though I would love to have Sean Bean play a DC character. Um, uh, Elijah Wood? Nope. The guy who played Gandalf? <laughs> Ian McKellen. <laughs> Ian McKellen? Nope. It's gotta be the 
two Joker hobbits, <laughs> whatever their names are. Mary and Pippin. Yeah, Mary and uh, Pippin. Dane, you named all. You mentioned all hobbits. Well, I'm not done for... yet, Tim. Okay, I'm not done yet, Tim. <laughs> Sean Astin. Ooh, bingo! You got one. Okay, as one. He plays uh, Shazam or voices Shazam in some of the recent DC animated movies and Justice League action. Oh, okay. Um, but he's his best animated role is Raphael in the 2012 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series. <laughs> how about the guy who played Baphomore <laughs> or whatever his, what's his name? Boromir. Boromir, who was yeah. played by Sean Bean, who you've already mentioned. <laughs> oh, really? What's his brother's yeah. name? Uh, Faramir. Oh, what, what, what is it? Faramir? Faramir. Yeah. Faramir. Faramir, sorry. That guy? No. Oh. But you're kind of close. See, I'm close. Andy Serkis. No. It, it has to deal with Faramir and Boromir. The dad? Bingo. John Noble. John Noble. Yeah. Okay, so I have he vo- two. He voiced Brainiac in the DC animated movie uh, Superman Unbound. He did a good job, too. Mm. Yeah, I remember so, him doing press for it. Uh, mm-hmm. So two more. Okay. I'll give you a clue for these ones, Dane. These okay. actors are in the Hobbit movies, not Lord of the Rings. Okay, the Hobbit. One of them I don't think you're going to get. Mm. <laughs> Is it... Oh, you see, I don't... Benedict Cumberbatch. No. <laughs> but it is one of the bigger actors in The Hobbit. Hmm. The Hobbit himself, Martin Freeman. No. <laughs> the guy who plays old Bilbo. No. <laughs> I have no idea, Tim. Okay. That's the only be... two guys I know. Oh, Evangeline... wait, wait, Tim. Oh, no. oh. You... <laughs> Evangeline Lilly. Oh, how'd you get it, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> and um, my other guess is going to be... Hmm. My other guess is going to be Orlando Bloom. He was in The Hobbit, right? Yeah, he was, yeah. but... Not in any DC project, so no, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, who's the who, who? Who's the last guy, Tim? All right. So first off, Evangeline Lily, she was in Smallville, which I didn't realize until Jordan mentioned it in his email. Oh, she was, was in Smallville. Yeah, I guess it was hmm. pretty early in her career, I would imagine. Yeah. But the last one is Manu Bennett. Really? Deathstroke. Yeah. He was in The and Hobbit? Here's why I knew you wouldn't get it, because he did motion capture for the lead orc villain, in the Hobbit yeah, movies, I would have never so. got that. I mean, unless he was like a dwarf or an elf, or yeah. So he would, unless you knew his voice, which he has a pretty distinctive voice. Where I kind of knew it was him. As I was watching the movie before I really knew he was in it. I could kind of tell it sounded like him. So, so good job, Jordan. You did stump Dane <laughs> without knowing anything about Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you did. You stumped me, uh, Jordan. I, I mean, I thought. Uh, I don't know what I thought. I thought, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, who's the guy that plays Aragorn? Viggo Mortensen. I thought Viggo Mortensen was in yeah. was in uh, Smallville. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably could have made for a good Jarrell. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so uh, speaking of Smallville, how's that 
case with uh, the the girl from Smallville gone. Yeah, I think she got cleared of charges. Oh, she did. The last I've heard about that, yeah. Oh, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> do, do Do you think she's going to be be a part of like the twentieth anniversary? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of doubt it, but yeah. <laughs> at least she tried. She makes some strides to you know turn her life around. Yeah, exactly. Joining a allegedly joining a cult. So yeah, just a crazy story all around. Though. I know that's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> But speaking of Smallville, Jordan continues saying another Smallville alum got cast on Supergirl shortly after I wrote my last email. Sarah Smythe, who plays Susie Turpin in the Smallville Season 8 episode, Bulletproof, will be playing Lydia Lockwood in Season 4 of Supergirl. I love Sarah on Smallville. Bulletproof is an episode that I absolutely adore as it features a beautiful Klana scene at the end. And I can't wait to see what she brings to the role of Lydia, who is Agent Liberty's mom on Supergirl. Yes, a Beautiful that means- what scene? Clonic. Clana, meaning oh. Clark and Lana. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, Clonic? Do they need some That's like a, magical a three-person magical? ship, like yeah. a love triangle ship thing. <laughs> Clark, Lana, and someone yeah. with the name Ick at the end. <laughs> I was like, what? Clana. <laughs> Clana. Yeah. Like uh, Clark and Lana. Exactly. So, so what do they call Lois and Clark? Clois, I guess. Clois, or Lark, <laughs> <laughs> or Clo- yeah, Clois, right? Yeah, I think that's the easiest yeah. one. <laughs> but he says, "Yes, that means on Supergirl, Susie Turpin is Doomsday's mom." LOL. Since Sam Witwer played Doomsday in Smallville, and now he's playing Agent Liberty in Supergirl. But as usual, Jordan has a couple of questions to wrap up his email. He goes. Uh, first off, I've asked you before who your top five villains on Gotham are, but given that Tim brought up Manu Bennett's phenomenal take on Deathstroke last episode, and given that I brought him up again in this email, it got me thinking that it would be fun to ask who are your top five Arrowverse villains. Mine are, number five, Odette Annabelle as Rain, and a storyline that took heavy inspiration from Smallville's extraordinary Doomsday storyline in season eight. Annabelle did such a magnificent job portraying both a good person, and also the evil Kryptonian monster that emerges. The fight Rain has with Supergirl in the mid-season finale of Season 3 is epic and reminds me a lot of the Superman vs. Zod fight in Man of Steel. Yeah, I gotta say, that fight was probably the highlight of Supergirl Season 3. It was really well done, especially for a TV show. But number four for Jordan is Laura uh, Vandervoort as Indigo. In a brilliant example of legacy casting, Laura killed it in the role, and it was so cool seeing two live-action Supergirls face off against one another. Laura's performance as Indigo reminds me a lot of James Marster's performance as Brainiac, as he plays the character as vicious, without regard for human life, and also as somewhat robotic. And I mean that in a good way, as that's what the character technically is. She's also a character who is very difficult for Supergirl to stop, and even was able to return to wreak, ha- wreak more havoc after she was brought to she was thought to be defeated. Number three, Kirk Acevedo as Dragon. He is so creepy and unhinged to the point of making my skin crawl a lot of time when he's on screen. His scenes with Earth 2 Laurel and especially the scenes where he burns a guy who bullied him as a child are terrifying. I just love the way Acevedo is able to snap on a dime and be so menacing. Yeah, he was good in season last season on Arrow as a villain. The only problem is it took forever for them to make him the villain of the season. It took more than half of the season for that to happen, which was disappointing. Well, for me anyway. 
At number two for Jordan is Manu Bennett as Deathstroke. I love the strong personal history with Green Arrow he has and how he would stop at nothing to exact his revenge. And he just has so much gravitas. Like, it was exhilarating when Ollie came to him for help at the end of season five, and we just saw him in his cell and heard him speak again. Number one, Josh Segura as Prometheus. I didn't think any Arrow, Arrowverse villain would ever top Bennett's Deathstroke for me, but Segura did it. Segura just dominates every scene he's in, and I love the intensity with which he speaks every word. He talks to Green Arrow with hatred, but also as a twisted brotherhood of sorts. And I love how they made him a wolf in sheep's clothing at first, as the mystery of his identity was unraveled. It's also cool how he wanted to make Green Arrow wish he were dead rather than actually kill him. Yeah, so for me, I'm going to go number five, Malcolm Merlin. I thought he was a great first season villain for Oliver to tangle with. And then afterwards, when he showed up at various times in seasons two, three, and four, and eventually his last one in five, always made for some fun episodes. So I always like Malcolm Merlin. Then number four, I'm going to go with Zoom from The Flash season two. A little, you know, kind of similar to Reverse Flash. And of course, there's another speedster out to get buried. But I thought they made him different enough and have different motivations than um, Eobard Thon did in season one and have played that switcheroo with him being Jay Garrick, uh, fooling them and then actually being uh, Zoom, which is pretty cool. And there's that, I think it was the mid-season finale of Flash season two or a little bit before that where he just tears Flash apart. There's this great sequence where they're just fighting at, at super speed across Central City and he just takes Flash down. It was really cool and he's like shows the Central City police force at the police station that he defeated Flash. It was a really cool villain moment. The number three, I'm going to go Prometheus for all the reasons you said, Jordan. He was fantastic and just elevated season five and brought the show back for me to where it was on, almost on the same level as seasons one and two. You know what? Better than season one. Almost at season two. I really like season five and a big part of it was um, Josh Segura's performance as Prometheus and Agent Chase, just really great. The number two, I'm going to go Reverse Flash. That first season of Flash is fantastic. It's just really, really great. And a lot of it was the story was Reverse Flash and Tom Cavanaugh's performance as Yabarthon and Harrison Wells and, you know, fooling everybody. There's a lot of great mystery and just great reveals in that season. Great action and fight sequences between Flash and Yabarthon and really doing a great job of adapting the flash rebirth story of how Thon killed Barry's mother and that set him on the pathway to becoming the flash It's so much great stuff. So that's my second one. But number one is Deathstroke. I mean, Manu Bennett's performance and his take on the character is yet to be topped. The great costume they had for season two at Deathstroke, great background story, like you said, and it made for some great action sequences. So I think he's always going to be Oliver's greatest villain as long as arrow goes on. So it's just, I don't, I don't think it's ever going to be topped, but those are my top five. And Dane, do you have any favorites in the few seasons that you watched of the Arrowverse shows? <laughs> uh, Manu Bennett. You can't Excellent. top this. Exactly. You can't top <laughs> You can try, but then you'll end up not topping him. <laughs> you'll just get second best. <laughs> and then for Jordan's second question, he goes, do you think we'll ever see more anthology movies like the DCU AOM line? I love Batman Gotham Knight and Green Lantern Emerald Knights. I think it would be awesome if they did another like those. I'd love to see a Superman one, one that adapts the short stories from Action Comics 1000, especially Scott Snyder's and Tom King's would be incredible. I would also think it'd be really cool to see a Superman one where each short is from the perspective of a different person who he saves. I envision the latter kind of like how each section of Superman for All Seasons is from the perspective of a different person in Superman's life. Speaking of Superman for All Seasons, yeah, 
It wouldn't be an anthology film, of course, but I want to mention that I also want an animated adaption of that really bad. Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling have said they'd be open to a Smallville animated reunion. Please make this happen, somebody, as I want that so badly too. And I can't help but think that maybe they'd also be down to voice their characters in a Superman for All Seasons movie. That would be perfect given how much that comic was used as inspiration for Smallville. I'll also say that since a Smallville animated reunion is my absolute dream animated film, if they actually did that as an anthology, I'd be all for that too, of course. If they did another anthology film in the DCU AOM line, what would you guys like to see? Well, yeah, I think it's about time they do another one of those. I think that is a pretty cool format. I loved Emerald Knights and Gotham Knights for the most part, but uh, there was some that I could have done without in the Gotham Knight one. But um, I think you hit it right on the money here, Jordan. I would love a a Superman version of that and get these different aspects and different stories that maybe they can't do as their own standalone movies. And I think that probably would be the perfect avenue to kind of have a Smallville reunion there, have one of those stories be about you know, the Smallville version of Superman and Lex and get Michael Rosenbaum and Tom Welling back to rephrase their roles there. I think that could be really cool. So I didn't really think about that, but I really like that idea. That's kind of something I would love to see happen in the future. So I'm in complete agreement with you where Superman would be the one I want to see have an anthology series like that and make one of them be with Smallville would be pretty cool. Not so much an anthology series, more as something just completely, completely different. And I was thinking about this really uh, recently. Uh, I'd like to see uh, Paul Dini's Dark Knight. Mm, yeah, as that a, would be awesome. Animated movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they can pull it off. It'd definitely be R-rated. Um, but yeah, that, that was such a great comic, and you know, j- just for DC to do something completely different, rather than your same old, we're gonna adapt. Uh, the Killing Joke, but we're gonna add our stuff onto it, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that that would be my choice. Man, two great choices, but by you guys, that I didn't really think about, but now I really really like to see happen. So yeah. <laughs> I'm jumping on your guys' bandwagons. <laughs> but that's it for Jordan's email, and he finishes off by saying, "Klana forever." Klana forever, yeah. <laughs> not clonic. Klana. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, th- uh, thank you, Jordan, for your email. And now we can move on yep. to our comic book reviews. Um, like we say at the beginning of every single episode, th- there's going to be a lot of sp- uh, spoilers in this. So if you haven't read your books, then uh, pause it right now, read your books, and then come back. So for this uh, episode, we're going to be reviewing Batman number 56 and Doomsday Clock number 7. Um, and our rating scale for this episode is going to be... Hmm. You got one, Dane? <laughs> No, I do not. What do you think it should be? You're, lo- you're losing your touch, Dane. I'm, yeah, yeah, I guess so. You usually go right to and you got one. <laughs> uh, how about uh, actors and uh, actors slash actresses that appeared in Smallville and The Hobbit slash Lord of the Rings that Dane will never guess? <laughs> there you go. That's how it gets me. <laughs> Good. You came back, Dean. <laughs> yeah. All right. So first up, Batman number 56. And I got to say, I just barely got this issue in time to review it on this episode. <laughs> I just got it yesterday. I wasn't able to get to my comic shop until then. But I definitely wanted to read it because Batman 55 ended on a cliffhanger with Nightwing getting shot in the head. Even though, like I said on that review, we knew he wasn't dead. And he survived. And Nightwing 
uh, issue 50 came out at the same time, but I haven't been keeping up with the Nightwings book, but I did kind of flip through it to see what's going on. Dick has a shaved head now. He has like a little scar on his head. I didn't read through the whole issue, but I know there's been some controversy about that one, about Dick's place now. And he's, the last pages of that comic that I was flipping through in the comic shop, I see him burning like all his Robin, past Robin and Nightwing costumes, kind of, I guess, signifying he's done with that and moving on. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but that's one of the things I wish this issue would have had more of, of showing uh, Batman kind of dealing with or with Dick dealing with what happened, whether it was at the hospital or if it's taken place a few times, like short, like a few months after. But we didn't really get any stuff with Batman and Dick in this issue, which I was kind of hoping for. But what I was hoping for was kind of really seeing Batman really on the hunt for KGBs to bring him down for what he did to him, pretty to do what he did to his son, as he referred to by the KGBs here. And this issue really harkens on the father-son relationship because it goes back and forth between KGBs and Anatoly visiting his father in his home. And we get kind of a, more of a background into their relationship, which is not a good one. It's one of those relationships where Anatoly's father was really hard on him, obviously an abusive relationship, but it made him into the hard assassin that he was. And Anatoly loves him for that. And his father kind of says, you know, that's what makes you weak in certain things that how he didn't kill Batman and how he handles the situation. But he's getting beat by Batman. His father thinks is weak. But in the end, his father kind of says he, he loves him, too, for that. And that goes back and forth with Batman on the hunt, like I said, looking for information to bring down Anatoly and Kate as KGBs. And there's a great opening sequence with Batman where we just see him say run and the gun shop owner where we saw Anatoly buy his weapons in the last issue just jumps out of the window. And there's this great small panel where we see the cracked glass in the window and just Batman, sh- his wide eyes in the silhouette in the darkness. This looks really cool. Uh, Tony Daniel again kills it with his art here and Batman reigns him in and he tells Alfred that uh, he's able to identify uh, the person he sold the guns to as as Anatoly and Batman knows it's KGBs and Alfred's there to you know uh, asking if he can find him and this is where we get our only little acknowledgement of Dick and what his situation was Alfred just you know he can barely speak the name he just goes Master Dick is sir can you find him speaking of KGBs you know wanting to bring him in for what he did to dick and batman just goes yes i can find him then we see him in different scenarios we see him with uh bronze tiger taking down a bunch of ninjas which made for some cool art and seeing both of them take him down and batman's asking bronze tiger to who trained kgb's bronze tiger doesn't want to tell him because he knows he could probably defeat batman but he eventually tells uh batman who it is and then we see batman uh at least batman to go up against kanto the uh, one of dark sides of uh, lieutenants and agents from Apocalypse who's on Earth and kind of hiding out from Granny Goodness. <laughs> but Batman kind of, he has Batman hung upside down, uh, thinking he has Batman trapped and he's his prisoner and all that. But we all know Batman's going to get out of that. Is just using this tactic to get the information he wants from Kanto, and which he does. He tells him that uh, he knows why he's hiding out and he can bring granny goodness and apocalypse down here to bring him in he says he has a signal embedded in his tooth <laughs> that they could signal a boom tooth to bring them here that scares Kanto into telling him and then batman uh, headbutts him and escapes <laughs> from being captive and heads out to anatoly's location which is where he's at with his father and it's more great artwork i love this two-page spread of batman just walking in the cold snow we see him in the background and there's different 
we see him move closer and closer to this great close-up shot of him just making his way toward KGB's father's house where he's hiding out. So before we get to that point, though, like I said, we explore Anatoly and his father's relationship, how it was definitely a troubled one. And his father even brings out, you know, you left me alive. You killed your brothers, your sisters, and your mother, but why me? And like I said, Anatoly tells him, you know, they were weak, but you were strong, and I loved you for that, and I still love you, father. And then once Anatoly's father says that, uh, Anatoly shoots him in the head, killing his father. And after we see that, he realizes that Batman's right out his doorstep, and that's where the issue ends. Batman is looking out at the cabin house where Anatoly is. So um, some cool stuff in this issue. I was kind of hoping, like I said, a little more for Batman's reaction to Dick being shot. Like I said, I think that's going to be the catalyst to snap Batman back into his old self after what happened with his marriage to Catwoman. And this is just kind of another thing that's adding to his dark, <laughs> even more so his dark persona right now. Bronze Tiger even calls him out on that. But I was hoping a little more on that front of it, but still some cool stuff with Batman hunting down KGB and then getting that little backstory for Anatoly's complicated relationship with his father. So I'm just going to give this one three out of five uh, Lord of the Rings and DC actors that Dane never would have guessed. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> three and a half. Mm. Well, I give it a three. Oh, three. Sorry. Three. <laughs> I guess you get guess one more half. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, next up is finally another issue of Doomsday Clock. I know I wasn't able to review issue six, which was mainly an origin story for the characters Mime and Marionette, which was, I got to say, a really compelling origin background story for those characters that kind of elevated them in my eyes. But this one really gets the story going here, in my opinion, for the big conflict that we know that's coming. I've said a few months ago after that issue six that it's time for Dr. Manhattan's presence to be felt and his... Uh, story to get going here and it really did in this issue and i absolutely loved it and it starts off in a cool way as we come to expect dr manhattan is fiddling around with the dc universe comics timeline and continuity he talks about uh, the origin of alan scott the first green lantern how we came to find the lantern and so yeah he survives the crane crash or a train crash um then he changes things where he doesn't survive and he dies and his manipulation with of the actual Green Lantern, that version of the Green Lantern Lantern. Um, so it's just kind of cool to get that history of what Dr. Manhattan's been doing here and messing up the timeline, as we know, <laughs> with stuff that's gone on in New 52 and all that changed history. So the fact that they're kind of giving us reasons for that, I'm really liking. <laughs> but this is an issue where all the main players, for the most part, come together here because we have uh, Rorschach, Johnny, and uh, Saturn Girl, uh, meeting up after they found the lantern, meeting up with Ozzy Mandeus, and he has a lead on where uh, Dr. Manhattan is. And the last issue, Joker captured uh, the comedian who, and one of the <laughs> cooler moments in the last issue where the comedian was just shooting up a meeting of a bunch of different DC villains, but Joker was able to get him captured and he brought Marionette and Mime with him to where he's being held captured. And that's where uh, these two groups come together because Ozzy Mandias knows that Dr. Manhattan's signature is on the Green Lantern. And that cat that he has, um, if you remember from the comics, uh, I forget his name, but it's kind of like that cat with the long ears, kind of like a lynx. Um, it got killed when Ozzy Mandias tried to kill Dr. Manhattan in his uh, in his hideout. But uh, after that, he tried to clone his cat because through Dr. Manhattan's you know energy and life signature, that was 
left throughout and he was able to so he cloned that cat and but it has like part of dr manhattan's energy with him and with that and the energy signature in the lantern he's able to kind of create like this energy energy signature frequency that's going to draw dr manhattan out as he can't resist it but before he does batman enters enters the fray as he was you know still coming out of from being knocked out by the joker in issue five i believe and he has a cool fight sequence with mime and marionette who have been built up to be you know cold-blooded killers and good fighters but it's awesome to see that batman's able to go toe-to-toe with them and kind of take him down even though uh marionette kind of gets him a little bit with her string and causes his gauntlet blades to stick in batman's cheek which was kind of brutal but batman was able to get the better of him which was i love to see of course so once they're all there uh, like I said, Rorschach, the comedian, Ozzy Mandias, once uh, they see Dr. Manhattan, this great splash page panel where Dr. Manhattan's finally there. And Batman just immediately says, I know who you are, reading the journal, knowing because he read Rorschach's journal. <laughs> and Joker being there too, some funny dialogue just going like, whoever you are, put some clothes on for goodness sakes, or at least for mine. <laughs> and so, but uh, Dr. Manhattan's not going to have any conversation with Batman and Joker. He's there for the characters from the Watchmen universe. So he teleports all of them into this island where he wants to know what's going on. Like, why'd you bring me here? And of course, Ozymandias tries to tell him, you're the only one who can save our world. I failed. and but I, So I'm here to bring you back. But Dr. Manhattan says, I'm not going back. And then he drops some bombshells as to certain things that we learned about in previous issues because we learned he did encounter Marionette and Mime uh, at a bank robbery and he didn't kill him because um, he knew she was pregnant and he tells her, you know, I didn't spare you because I knew you were pregnant. It's because um, I, I saw what your child would become and I chose to save him. And she goes like, what are you talking about? Where is my child? And he goes, which child? And she goes, what do you mean? Just have one. But then he realizes, tells her, Oh, you're actually pregnant again. So there's a mystery now to who the significance of the importance of her children and which one of those children is, you know, the one that Dr. Manhattan wanted to save and what role will this child play in the story. So I'm kind of fascinated by that now. And then he reveals to Rorschach, um, Reggie, that uh, Ozymandias lied to him. He's not really sick with cancer. And that sets Rorschach off (laughs) because he's not mentally stable. And he goes off on Adrian Veidt asking him, like, why'd you lie? Or, you know, like, no, you really are sick. But then Adrian tells him, you know, I, I knew what... I only acted that way because I knew that's what you wanted to see. And it would be the only way to get you to come help me. Like, I know you would feel remorse to seeing the person who you believe killed your father sick and dying. And he used that against him. And then he reveals how, you know, even you taking up the mantle as Rorschach is a sham because you think uh, Walter Kovac was your father's friend in their sessions. And that brought the best out of him. But actually, it was the worst. Um, It left your father, you know, depressed, like everything he's like your father kept all of his session with this worst sex sessions of with walter kovac a secret to you to protect you and he says that rorschach broke down your father's undying positivity and just left him a shell of a man of himself and that ruined his marriage and you think your parents died after the tragedy that happened in new york as like holding each other as a loving husband and wife when in fact uh she left him like their marriage fell apart they died alone like unhappy and that just really sets Reggie, the new Rorschach, off and just starts beating on Adrian Veidt. And then he asks, Adrian just straight up asks Dr. Manhattan, why are you here? And he goes, at first I thought I could find a place among them, which I think is cool when you think about that line at the end of Watchmen where he's saying, you know, he wants to go to a different universe knowing it's the DC universe now. I think there's something cool about that. 
but then he says there's something there's something happened in the world and something he needs you know needs to see play out that he's not sure about which brings to some more anticipation of what's going to happen in this story. He goes, I saw a vision of the most hopeful among them, which I think, of course, being a Superman. He's heading towards me, now hopeless. And then I see nothing. And at the very end of this issue, the monologue by Dr. Manhattan, which is what I wanted to see, setting up his confrontation with Superman. And Jeff Johnson says it's not going to be, you know, a brawl fight where to see who's most powerful. It's more of like a fight of ideals. And he's saying he's uh, saying that one month in the future, he sees Superman. He's yelling at me. He's going to come with me with his fist about to punch me. He throws a fist forward and then I see nothing. And he goes, a year, a century, a millennium from now, I see nothing. I don't see tomorrow from one month from now. And I don't know why that is. Is it because Superman kills me or is it because I destroy everything? So things are finally leading up to that conflict that <laughs> I've been waiting for in here. And it's just a really good tease is the fact that Dr. Manhattan, someone who can see the past, present, and future at all times, not knowing what's going to happen or what's there a month from now, is really intriguing to me. So I can't wait for this. And once he transports uh, Rorschach, a uh, comedian, and uh, Ozymandias back to where he left Batman and Joker, he goes off on his own and things just – uh, take a turn from the worst for these characters. Rorschach beats up on Ozymandias. Then Joker tries to step in. He beats up on the Joker. He ditches the Rorschach mask. Um, looks like he's delivering. He has a package he's putting in the mail to deliver to Lois Lane, which maybe might be his journal. Uh, I'm not sure. I kind of forget where that left off, where Batman had it last, if he got it back. I can't remember that off the top of my head right now. So I, think, I can't wait to see what happens next. And the one thing I forgot to mention about Comedian, his role in all this, uh, because we know Dr. Manhattan uh, changed his death and brought, was able to, again, screwing up with the timeline, brought, prevented him from dying because he wanted him to go kill Ozymandias' cat because he knew he didn't want to be disturbed and that was the way to bring him back. So that was his role here. But everyone's kind of off doing his own thing now as Ozymandias took the, la- the, lan- the Green Lantern and has a new plan to save not only his universe but this universe as well. So. Things are really amping up here in this story, which I couldn't be more excited about. I really love this issue. Seeing the Watchmen characters with Dr. Manhattan finally was great. And getting really into the heart of the story, I think it just really set that up. I can't wait to see. So I'm going to give this issue four and a half out of five DC and Lord of the Rings characters that Dane had no idea were in both. That's, I think the actual number is a lot more, Tim. <laughs> Sorry, my rating scale doesn't go up to yeah. 100. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's it from us. Um, just go over to BatmanUniverse.net, Facebook.com slash BatmanUniverse, Twitter handles at BatmanUniverse, the show's Twitter handles at BatfansPodcast, Tim's Twitter handles at TimG311, and my Twitter handles that's at That's because the Yankees beat Oakland, huh? Yeah. <laughs> You're not giving me the 311. No way, no way. <laughs> um, and my Twitter handles at Dane says banana. Um, if you want to email the show, you can email the show at badfanswithoutpants at gmail.com. So with that, like we say at the end of every single episode, Tim. We love each and every one of you with all of our bats and symbiote hearts. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think of one of the topics we were talking about today. So I, I do love my symbiote. So. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll see you guys next time. See you next time. <laughs>